Hallelujah. 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 Father, we thank you for another time to look into your word. In your word, Father, is everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything in your word, Father, is there for us to know and to understand. And Father, you desire that we grow, that we become what you have called us to be. We thank you that you've equipped us by giving us your word and other people in the body of Christ who teach us, minister to us, and help us. And we mostly thank you for the Holy Spirit who has given to us all truth, all things that we need to understand. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This came from the Reader's Digest. Once in a while they have a good thing, and I don't necessarily read it myself, but I found this, this printed for us to take a look at. You can kind of see what they're trying to mimic as we get into this. Hearken unto my voice, all of you, and learn from my misfortune. For I have dallied too long over Good Morning America, and now I pay the price. Yea, verily, it is rush hour. And though I have falleth upon my steering wheel and weep most piteously, I goeth not forward upon the highway. And lo, there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. For clients do await me at the office, and my boss does curse my name most horribly. And woe unto us all who do travel in the valley of the shadow of road construction. For verily I am stopped near the machines that makes pounding noises for no reason. And soon the pain in my head is as a spike through my temple. I look around myself and I seeth also the doom of others. For there are many children who frolic in back seats and who do cry out with much noise as an angry multitude. I am hungry. He's sitting on my side. She is touching me. And are we there yet? For pee we must and mightily. Soon it comes to pass that I do howl and the hair of my flesh stands up for my coffee has fallen into my lap. And there are many foul curses and lo, I am most grievously sore. For under my loins there is a great desolation. And after having suffered these trials and tribulations, I arrive in my company's parking lot. But there are those who parketh crookedly and do taketh up two places for fear others will smite their doors. And there are those vehicles of an unnaturally large aspect that are puffed up and bear a multitude of bumper stickers. These cars are an abomination and a pestilence in my eyes, for they causes me to park far from all mankind, out in the blasted wilderness. I must walk, I must walk many leagues with my briefcase heavy upon me, and the lessons of this day burned in my soul, and other parts with letters of fire. When at last I reach my office, I fall upon my brother's neck and weep with joy. For I know that at the end of the day, I shall not wander about as a sheep who has not a shepherd. My car will not be lost in the wilderness and hidden under me. Because by the time I am freed from my great travails, evening rush hour will be long over and mine will be the only car left in the parking lot. Bruce Carlson wrote that in uh, Funny Times. In the, uh, it was quoted in the Reader's Digest. Over in Second Timothy, we're going to be. We've been taking up the series here on fruitfulness. I guess we ought to go over that first. We have a lot of people in and out over the summer. But how we can be bearing much fruit for God? That for many there is misunderstandings as to what fruit is, 
How can I tell if I am fruitful? We looked at the scripture before that told us about how important it was that we become fruitful or that we would be fruitful. Over in John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So we, we took from this that who is the vine? Jesus is the vine. Who is the vine dresser? God the Father is the vine dresser. We are not the vine dresser and we are not the vine. He says that He is the true vine, which means there must be false vines. We can obviously be attached to a false vine as well as to the true vine. But God wants us to be attached to the true vine. So we have to identify the true vine, understand who the vine dresser is, and we are the branches. All of us are branches. There are no better branches, higher branches. We're all branches. And we are all attached to the vine. And it says that just because we're attached to the vine, we produce fruit, right? No. Just because we're saved does not mean we produce fruit. For he even says here, you are already clean in verse 3 because of the word which I have spoken to you. But just because they were clean doesn't mean that they were producing fruit. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So if we're going to produce fruit for God, not only must we be born again, but we must be abiding in Him and His words must abide in us. If we abide in Him and His words abide in us, we will produce fruit. So we understand the way of producing fruit. We also have to understand what is fruit. Last time we were looking at some things about true fruit and as he was getting on in this section of Scripture, we saw that towards the end of this, he was speaking about love, joy, and obedience. That love, joy, and obedience are all part of fruit. It isn't just getting people saved. It isn't just going out there and finding uh, folks to get converted. Though that's good. But sometimes we get the idea, if I haven't got anybody converted, I'm not bearing fruit. Or if I haven't done these things over here, if I haven't walked in the gifts of the Spirit, or gotten people healed, or laid hands on them for this, that, or the other thing, that I'm not bearing fruit. And we have to make sure we keep clear what it is that the Word of God is talking about. Jesus is nowhere said in Scripture that if everyone that you ever witnessed to Never, none of them ever accept Jesus Christ as their Savior that you're not going to go on. That's not what he says. But he says that you will bear fruit. So we have to understand what is this fruit that we are to bear and fully understand that. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundations of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, 
He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. He first off talks here about our presentation to God, how we are to be presented to the Lord. He said, first off, we are to be approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. We are to be approved. Not ashamed, but approved. We are to be rightly dividing the word of truth. If we are not rightly dividing the word of truth, we're going to have some troubles. We're going to have some problems in that. I put in here the uh, the message translation. I left that in your outline so you could see this. From verse 15 and 17. Concentrate on doing your best for God. Work you won't be ashamed of. Laying out the truth plain and simple. Stay clear of pious talk that is only talk. Words are not mere words, you know. If they're not backed by a godly life, they accumulate as poison in the soul. Wow, that's quite a that's quite a render to that. Let me read it again for you. Concentrate on doing your best for God. Work you won't be ashamed of. Laying out the truth plain and simple. Stay clear of pious talk that is only talk. Words that are mere words you know. If they're not backed by a godly life, they accumulate as poison in the soul. Words are not mere words. And what he is speaking about as far as these kind of words is, he said, first off, rightly divide the word of truth. The words he is speaking here are not just any words that you say. They are words spoken about the word of God. There are words spoken about rightly dividing the word of truth. And you know that by the example that he gives you then. Because he goes on right after this and says, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, the ones he's just talking about, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Now, if you rightly divided the word of truth, you would have known that the resurrection is not already past, and they wouldn't have overthrown your faith. But he's saying words are not mere words. You've got to understand this. If you're going to focus on these things, you've got to rightly divide the Word of God and make sure that the Word that you take on the inside of you is Word that is according to the Bible. That is Word according to the teachings that is in the Word of God. This is why we always emphasize with you, don't just believe things because anyone says it to you. Make sure it is taught repetitively in the Word of God. There is nothing that you need to ordain your life by there is nothing you need to govern your life by that is not that is only mentioned in the Word of God once or twice. If God is expecting you to order your life by the teaching, He has said it more than one time. He has taught it by more than one author. And He has given you examples of people who have done it. There are people who try to overthrow the faith of some by pulling some obscure teaching out of some singular verse and tell you how this is supposed to be come about in your life and yet there is no one in the Word of God who does it that way. Folks, if there's no one in the Word of God doing what someone is telling you you ought to do, you probably ought not to be doing it. That's good. Just, it's just good advice to hold on to. If there's no one in the Word of God who does the teaching the way brother or sister so-and-so says it ought to be done, they can't give you a single example in the Word of God, then probably you ought not to be doing it. Probably they have misunderstood the teaching. Or it's just not that big a deal. That's why every single time, 
for all the years that we've ever been here teaching you folks, every time we've ever taught you a doctrine, I have always strived to give you one, two, three, four, five, six different examples of people in the Word of God who did it and how they did it and how they did it the way the Bible taught it. We've given you Old Testament examples of people who put to practice New Testament teaching. Don't let anybody ever tell you, well, it's a New Testament teaching so you won't find anybody who did it. No, that's wrong. If it is worth us mimicking, there is someone in the Word of God who did it. And we can follow their example. But see, these folks want to get out there and teach you something that is wrong. Get you to meditate on it and then get you to act on it and follow a wrong example. He says words are not mere words. And if you keep letting them inside, if you don't do anything about it, they will be poison to your soul. Just like that translation, that's why I left that in there. I wanted you to be able to have that. Stay clear of pious talk that is only talk. Words are not mere words, you know. If they're not backed by a godly life, we need to make sure that we back our words with a godly life. And that is what bearing fruit is really about. If they are not backed by a godly life, they accumulate as poison in the soul. Well, there's much more we can get out of that and we'll get into it as, as time goes on, but we just want to introduce this uh, particular concept here to you that we're going to get into just a little bit further down. But let's continue to look at what he says in verse 20. But in a, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Now what he is talking about here is that in a great house, there is fine china and there is corelware. There are paper plates. Right? There's plasticware. In a great house, you have the fine china. How often do you bring out your fine china? I mean, folks, just about every, all of us have fine china. Some of us have finer china than others. All right, but some of us, we all have some stuff that we like to set aside for special occasions, for, for high up. It may be the top shelf corning ware <laughs> that is your fine china. And that's all fine. But we all have five, our fine china we keep in an honorable place and we treat it honorably. We bring it out at certain times. But then there are those times when you have a picnic gathering outside and you don't bring out the fine china for that. You bring out the paperware. Because who cares if it gets dropped on the ground. Who cares if plasticware takes a spill? We're just going to gather them all up and throw them away, right? Please don't wash your plasticware. <laughs> the whole purpose of using plasticware is to throw it away. It's harder to wash plasticware than it is silverware. Just break out the silverware if you don't want to throw it away. How many of you have tried to wash plasticware? Oh, no, I tell you. <laughs> You try and wash it, especially if it's spaghetti sauce on plasticware. I mean, it just don't come off as easy. Just get the silverware, use it, and then wash it. Just get the you know, silverware, just the regular common stuff that you use. It's a whole lot easier to wash that, and it's a whole lot better to wash that than it is plasticware anyway. Well, you do what you want with that. and You all remember poverty mentality. That's not part of me. We don't need to have that sort of stuff going on. Don't be washing straws. And all sorts of stuff. Washing paper plates. Boy, I tell you what, you can fall into all sorts of stuff, can't you? <laughs> no. But in a great house, 
He's not just talking about any house here now. He's now talking about a great house. In a great house, there are vessels of honor. Silver and gold. How many of you have vessels of silver and gold in your house? Me neither. We do have some, some silverware that looks like gold. But there's a gold on the outside. It's not even gold on the outside. Oh, it is gold on the outside. All right, so we do have some, uh, some stuff that way. I think her, her dad had given it to her some time ago or got it somehow. And uh, we break that out uh, once a year, twice a year, something like that. We don't break it out all that often because it's not easy to wash. You can't just put that stuff in the dishwasher. You've got to hand wash everything with a sponge and just be real, real careful about the, the whole thing. The silverware we have, we just throw it in the dishwasher, turn it on, put it all away. But in a great house, there are vessels of gold or vessels of silver. And they actually use these to serve things in. They have gold vessels they put food on. They have silver vessels. And they also have ones of wood and clay. And what he's telling you here is, if you want to be in a great house, and our Father has a great house, and you want to get out of being the paper plates and the corningware, and move up into the gold and the silver, he basically says it's on you. It's up to you. It's not up to God. God does not say ahead of time that you will be a vessel of gold and you will be a vessel of clay. He says it's up to you. In a great house, there are only not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor. See, it's up to you. If we cleanse ourselves from the latter, from these things, that the, the, the latter part of these things, the, you know, the idle talk, the, uh, the wrong kind of words to be meditating on, that increase to more ungodliness. We need to get rid of some of these things. We need to get rid of these things that cause us to be a workman that is ashamed. If we get rid of these, we will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. And he uses this word sanctified. The word sanctified is a process that begins when we are born again. Too often people learn through other Christians that the process of sanctification actually is the process of salvation which is not. The process of salvation is when we come to God and we say, Father God, I have sinned and I need forgiveness. And the Father forgives us of our sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That is salvation. But sanctification does not begin until, salva until salvation has been accessed. And when salvation is accessed, then the Father begins to prune us and we can actually look at the process of salvation the same thing as the vine dresser pruning. He's pruning us to make us to become fruitful. But He doesn't do that to those that are not part of the vine. And so first off, we have to become part of the vine and get saved. And when we do, then He begins to prune us. He begins to do the work of the vine dresser and He begins to say, all right, we need to get rid of this thing over here. This is holding you back. This is keeping you from producing this is keeping you from being fruitful. Let's get rid of this stuff over here. And it begins to sanctify us. So if anyone cleanses himself in the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. We will become sanctified and useful. So this one is called sanctified and useful. He's called sanctified and useful. How many want to be useful for the Father? Amen. Absolutely. We want to be useful for the Father. He says... This one becomes sanctified and useful. 
means the Father can use us. I want to be used. I want the Father to look at me and say, I can use that. That's useful to me. How many of you ladies have ever gone into one of those kitchen stores? Like those kitchen stores? You know, we sometimes we're in the mall. My wife likes to go walk on through and take a look. And, you know, I can even like it because there's a lot of gadgets in there. <laughs> they have a lot of kitchen gadgets, and so I can enjoy myself, she can enjoy herself, and we're looking at things. But what you do is you walk on through the aisles, and you're trying to find something out there that, first off, you can determine what its use is. Because, you know, sometimes that's tough. <laughs> you can see something, you say, What? is that? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? And so maybe you ask the salesperson, what is this and how do I use it? And they tell you, oh, that might be useful. And we go on through and don't we look for the things that we determine would be useful. And if we find those things that are useful, we buy them, we take them home. You know what? I could use, oh, that is so much better. So, oh, we just do that this way and I don't have to do that that way anymore. I can do it like this. Mm-hmm. We had one of those uh, contraptions when we were growing up. Mom, I, I found it somewhere. I don't know where it was. But I remember it would be hanging over by the, the cellar door, I think it was. It was an apple peeler. No, it was over by the phone table. Over by the phone table. We had it put on the phone table. And what you did with this, and it was, a, it was actually an old-fashioned apple peeler. So it wasn't new, newly created at that point. It was just, I guess they mimicked it, whatever it was. You took the apple and you put it on the three prongs on the end. You had a little handle and you turn the little handle and the little blades went around the apple and you see the long apple peel go on down to the floor. And they peel the apple. Oh, well, that was so much easier than doing it the other way. Why did that become old-fashioned? Why is that not still used? Such a nice thing. He all could, could find some uses for that. The father wants to look around and find some useful people. And the useful ones are those folks that cleanse themselves from the latter and become vessels of honor, vessels of gold, vessels of silver. They're called sanctified and useful for the master. Sanctified and useful for every good work. So they're called sanctified and useful for the master, sanctified and useful for every good work. God wants to sanctify us and make us useful for every good works. Works are not a bad word in the Christian walk. We also, well, I'm not saved by works. That's right, you're not. But once you're saved, you're saved unto good works. And we can do some works for God. Amen. We can do that. I thought of an example this way. How many of you were, when you think back when you were hired, either to your current job or some other job that you may have had, when they hired you, did they hire you for all the good work you had done for them? No, because you hadn't done any work for them yet, right? You're being hired by them. They are hiring you in the potential that they see in you of good work that they can get. So they hire you and now you have opportunity to do good work for them. But until they, until they hire you, you don't have the opportunity to do any good work for them. So they hire you and now you have the opportunity to do good work. But the good work that you do after you're hired does not go back and get you hired. Right? You're already there. You're already there. The works that you do for God do not get you saved or more saved. Any more than the works you do for your employer get you more hired. You were hired. And you were hired to do some work. So we do works for God because I was hired. (laughs) Because I was put in a position to be able to do it. 
but the works that I do for Him have nothing, no effect on the fact that I was hired, that I was born again thereafter the fact. So just always keep that, keep that straight. Keep that as an example. Make sure you understand. My good works, they're not, they're not going to be changed. Ephesians, make sure we know about that. For by grace are we saved through and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Yeah, it's not of works. We don't work for these things. We didn't do it that way. Left off at 21. 22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we are to flee the lust, flee the, the, the bad stuff, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call. So we're supposed to get out of this and pursue after this. Now, as far as works are concerned, we want to make sure we go under the good works. How many want to get a part of the, the good works? Not the bad works. We want to be in the good works side. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. We're going to give you three types of works here. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now I told you we're going to give you three kinds of works. So we brought you some examples so that you can see these and have them as, uh, as things to, to look at. Now those how many examples up here? There's two. I told you I'm giving you how many? Three. And there, you'll see them. All three are, are plainly visible. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, and so forth. The list goes on. Now, I'm, these are the works of the flesh. These are good works or bad works? These are bad works. We know that these are bad works. These are not good works. They're called works of the flesh. But again, I told you I was going to give you three. Can, if you are standing in an elevator with a person and they are an idolater, will you know it? Not always, will you? You won't always know that this person's an idolater. Will you know that they're a, a hateful person or a bigoted person or a liar or a thief? No, not necessarily. Because there are there are some things that are evident and some things that are not. But he says here, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, and he goes on with the, with the list that is there. The first type of works that we, we know of, as far as the Word of God calls us, the first kind of works this, the, are those are, sorry, that which is carnal. The first kind of works are that which is carnal. Carnal works are evident to all. If a person is in carnal works, they are an adulterer and they do not care that you know about it. Right? How many have ever met people who are adulterers and don't care that anybody knows that they're adulterers? 
Fornicators, and they don't care that anybody knows that they're a fornicator. Thief, and they don't care that anyone knows that they're a thief. They, this is what I am. This is what I do. And that's what they are. Could you in any way mistake that person's works for fruit? No. And that's what our group is right here. See this empty part right here? There is no mistaking carnal works for fruit. You will know instantly carnal works are not fruit. This person is not trying to conceal it. They're not trying to hide it. They're just carnal. Now, we're not carnal with everything, but there are some things that folks, we are just downright carnal about as Christians. How many know Christians can be carnal? Paul wrote to the Corinthians, talked about them being carnal. It is possible, very possible, for Christians to be carnal. It's not recommended. You know, but it is possible. You can do it. There's a lot of things that are not recommended that we do try and do. But then we come over to the second group. First group, carnal flesh work still out in the open for all to see. I'm not covering it up. I may, maybe I don't even know to cover it up. It's just out there. Because this is a sin that I have and it's just out, everybody can see that particular sin. It's carnal work. Second group is that which is concealed. So this is a flesh work that is concealed. Flesh works we realize are bad, evil, unprofitable, but in order to continue in them, we cover them up. We haven't changed the behavior. We just keep people from seeing it. So when I get born again, before I was carnal, I was open about the fact that I was an adulterer, that I was a liar, that I was a thief, that I was one with a foul language or whatever it might be that's in the list that he has there. But then I got born again and then I found out from the Word of God that adultery is, is kind of frowned upon. God doesn't like that a whole lot. He says, you know, don't do it. And so what I do is I, I take the carnal work and I have to do something about it. I've got to change it around some. I've got to take it and, and mold it. And so we conceal it and by concealing it, we try and make our carnal works look like fruit. How do we do that? How many of you, when you were unsaved and you had nasty thoughts about someone, just said them? Yeah, we just bloom right. But then you got born again and you found out those nasty thoughts, you shot, you're not supposed to be having them about other people. And so what you do is you still have the nasty thoughts, but you don't say them. What do you say instead? Instead. Well, I just love that particular person. You know, I'm just walking in love towards that one and I just hope that they, you know, they overcome that. But inside, I'm, I still have nasty thoughts. What have I done? I have concealed what is flesh to make it appear as if it is fruit. This is concealed fruit. I'm trying to pass this off to everyone else as being fruit. I understand that I'm going to be led by the Spirit, but I don't know how to be led by the Spirit, so I just get spiritual. Oh, I feel the Lord. I feel the Lord. Oh, He's doing something to me right now. And we come up with these things, and we're trying to appear to be spiritual. We're trying to appear to have fruit. But it's not fruit. There's no fruit that's there. I'm not getting anything in the Spirit. It's just normal. But I'm trying to pass something off as being fruitful. 
You know, people get up in the congregation, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, the Lord has not said. But they want to be appear. They they see so and so getting accolades because they gave a prophecy. Well, I need to give a prophecy too. So they get up. Thus saith the Lord, and they say something you could probably just read right out of scripture. God didn't give it to them. It's not necessarily wrong, but God didn't give it to them. It wasn't for that particular time. But they're trying to give the appearance that they have fruit. Kind of like the fig tree gave the appearance that it had fruit when Jesus went up for closer inspection. Found out didn't have any fruit. So he cursed it. Jesus is not oppressed with giving the appearance of fruit. Either you're fruitful or you're not. Either it's genuine fruit or he wants nothing to do with it. Jesus is no more impressed with the concealed works than he is the outright in the open stuff. In fact, if you're all right, all right there out in the open, you can probably deal with you a whole lot easier than he can when you're out there trying to conceal it. A person who walks to conceal what's really going on on the inside to others is a person who says, I realize my behavior is not lined up with the Word of God or what God has called me to be. But I need to give the appearance off to everyone else that it is. Boy, what do you do about that? Remember, uh, I think in one of the services here, we, we brought over one of the Keith, Keith Morris tapes. And he was relating the story of how he was driving Brother Hagin at a particular time. And, and Brother Hagin, uh, Brother Keith and his wife were up in the front seat and Brother Hagin was in the back seat. And all of a sudden, Brother Hagin out of the back seat just let out a, <laughs> Brother Keith, do you feel that? And Brother Keith thought absolutely nothing. But here's he said, the prophet of God is in the back seat having a good time spiritually. And, you know, the temptation, he said, was there to, to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel that. Mm -hmm. But he didn't feel it. And so he just said, you know, no, I didn't feel anything. And Brother Hagin said, neither did I. <laughs> he just tested him. <laughs> just tested him, see where he was at. If he's going to try and put out that fake fruit. Trying to appear to be spiritual. Boy, I tell you what, your brother Keith, I bet you're glad you didn't give in to that idea, huh? <laughs> You see, there's those things that are carnal. They're right out there in the front. I know they're bad. The Word of God says they're bad and I can just deal with them. But then we, we take some of those things from the carnal area and we put them into the concealed area. I'm trying to hide them. I'm trying to give them the appearance of fruit. We take pictures of fruit we put it in front. And we try and say, this is fruit. And everybody says, well, it looks like fruit, yeah. It doesn't quite smell the same, but it looks like fruit, yeah, okay. And so we can maybe tell that something quite isn't right there, but it looks like fruit. There's a picture right there of fruit in front of it. But that's not where He wants us to be at. God isn't that, that which is changed. We have the works, the type of works of that which is carnal, that which is concealed, and that which is changed. And these are flesh works we have eliminated, so our response is not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. We have changed what was bad to what was good. We have not covered it up. We have altered it. Instead of having those thoughts and those feelings anymore, they don't come up in me. When I see a person react a certain way, instead of having angry thoughts and hurt thoughts and such things, I have thoughts that say, Oh, Father God, I just love that person. I just want to see them move on with you and come into a knowledge of you. And it's completely different. Because I became attached to the vine, I abide in the vine, His words abide in me, and I begin to produce fruit. 
fruit changes the works of the flesh into works of the Spirit. A fruit is merely a reaction to what before produced a flesh work and now produces a work of the Spirit when I bear fruit. That's all that it merely is. So true fruit cannot be imitated. You can't take a picture of it and have it be the same thing. A fruit is a fruit. And we just need to have that going on in our lives. In Galatians uh, verse verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. We'll get more into this section of Scripture later on down the road. But again, we're just trying to introduce this, this aspect of it, of the, of the fruit, that we can get an idea of, of what this is. Because there are too many times that we are operating with this kind of fruit in our lives. It looks like fruit, has the appearance of fruit, but it's not fruit. And the, when the vine dresser comes up, and if he sees wooden apples, or wooden grapes, or wooden fruit on your vine, he's not going to say, Oh, what a good effort. We should keep this one around. Look how hard it's trying. What the vine dresser wants to see on the vine is fruit. Real fruit. Fruit that he finds that is useful. Just like going through those kitchen stores. And how many times have we seen something, oh, that could be useful. And we brought it on home and we used it for a week. (laughs) And then we don't use it anymore. I mean, don't we have a drawer of those things in our kitchen? I thought that was useful. I thought that was going to be good, but I'm just not using it all that much anymore. You know, you have those infomercials for those uh, gadgets, you know, chopping this and doing that. And, oh, it just looks like that would just change our life. And it does for a couple of days. But then it seems to be more work to pull the thing out and to do the thing and and, well, if we're just not, not into that. And so then we go back into the same old way we were doing it before. But they made it look so easy on TV. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is all listing things that are the opposite reaction of the flesh reaction we had when we were unsaved. They have the opposite reaction. This is what fruit is. This is what God wants us to to have go on. He wants our lives to be changed such a way that people see a different reaction. They're expecting one reaction, but they see something different. And they're thinking to themselves, why did that person react that way? That's odd. I would have been upset if I was them. I would have cussed a little bit if I was them. I would say no matter of evil about that if I was them. I would have gotten hurt. How is it that they're reacting this way? And because of the fruit, they become interested in the vine. That's different. I've not seen that kind of reaction before. I've not seen people be in joy when situations are, are happening around you like you have, have happening. I mean, people get upset, people get depressed, people get down. But you're full of joy. That's a fruit. Peace. 
I don't understand how you're so at peace. You got this going on in your family and this going on at the job and, and this going on. I don't understand. How are you at peace? You just always seem to be at peace. It's a fruit. These are the things God wants us to have. And he doesn't want us to have ones. He's not calling us to a lifestyle where we're making fruit. He's calling us to a lifestyle where we produce it. Because we're attached to the vine. There's too many times that we as Christians have thought, I need to be joyful as a Christian. I should be joyful in this situation. So I'm going to produce joy. I'm going to produce peace. I'm going to produce long-suffering. And you can produce a bit of that yourself. You can manufacture joy. You can manufacture peace. You can manufacture long-suffering. How many times have we manufactured long-suffering? How many times have you been taught, well, just count to ten. What are you doing? You're manufacturing long-suffering, except your long-suffering lasted ten seconds. Maybe you got really good, it lasted twenty. But then after, you know, they don't tell you what to do after you count to ten. What happens after you hit ten? We can produce some of it. But we can't produce the real thing. And if I were to offer you a bite out of this apple, how many of you would not like that? But a bite out of this one. So the nature is completely different. The appearance is similar. But the nature is completely different. And we have been trying as Christians to fulfill the sanctification process to fulfill the fruit-bearing process, making these. When God says, I want to make these out of you. I want you to become attached to the vine. And the vine dresser will be going around. He'll be doing things that will help you produce more of this. He'll just produce it. And instead of us trying to go against the nature that is in us, we find out that the nature in us changes. And we begin to produce fruit. Just because you got born again and got attached to the vine didn't mean you automatically started to produce fruit. You didn't. You produced a lot of nothing. But the vine dresser expects that. We just put this one on. They're not gonna, there's not going to be fruit right away. We need to give it some time to be part of the vine. Let the juices from the, the vine flow through and begin to produce fruit fruit. Good fruit. Fruit that you want to take home and eat. In Acts chapter 26, verse 20, But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. That we should do works befitting repentance. See, we repented first. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, For we are all His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God wanted us to be walking in these good works. He created us for it. And He gave us the ability to walk in that way. He didn't give us the ability to walk the way of wooden apples. But He gave us the ability to walk the way of real apples. He wants to take turning our former works into godly righteous works 
turning our formal works into godly righteous works is being fruitful. That is being fruitful. If I take my old ungodly flesh works and instead of having the same flesh reaction, instead of having the flesh, same flesh stuff, I begin to produce on my vine fruits, that is being fruitful. If I was once an adulterer and I realized adultery is not wrong and I give up adultery, I give up fornication, I give up cursing, I give up thievery, I give up all the things. But see, giving those things up doesn't make me saved any more than working really hard as an employee for an employer makes me hired. I was already hired and therefore have the opportunity to do good works in the company. You are already saved and therefore have the opportunity to do good works for God. But the good works that you do for God have no bearing on the fact that you are saved. But he says, but how many of y'all know, that continued employment in any place you're at, they look upon what you do. They look upon the, the fruits that you bring to them. Don't they? And Jesus said, the vine dresser, he goes around, he looks at the branches, and those that are not producing fruit, what's he do? Cuts them off and he casts it away. And sometimes we get scared of that. It says, well, what if I can't get anybody born again? What if I don't operate in the gifts of the Spirit? What if, what if, what if? But see, all he's saying is this. If you attach yourself to the vine, the vine changes your nature. And you had a reaction before that was this way. And he's not saying you've got to grit it out and produce this new reaction now. He's saying just let the juices of the vine fill you up. And in your in place of frustration and anger and all the other things we had, flowing into our life are joy and peace and long-suffering, happiness, goodness, kindness, gladness, love. All these things are flowing into us and they weren't before. And we look at ourselves in the mirror and the devil tries to get us under condemnation and say, you call yourself a Christian. And look at what is in your life. Look at the nasty stuff you have going on. I mean, you just lost your, your temper with your kids today. You just lost your temper with your employer. You just said all manner of nasty things about that person who called on the phone. And he begins to play all these things back. And we begin to see all these things and think about all these things. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing worse than being in a traffic jam like the story we were reading earlier today. Nothing worse than being in a traffic jam to bring out all the flesh that's still in you. Boy, it can just bring out some flesh, can it? But God wants to change all that. He wants to change it all. He wants us to get to a place and that's not going on anymore. He wants us to get to a place where I just plain and simply, I don't feel that anymore. I'm changed on the inside. And he takes his word and he begins to teach us things out of his word and things that I didn't know were flesh reactions before, he identifies in my life, this is a flesh reaction. That means I don't have to respond that way. That means I can respond differently. And God says, yes. Yes, you can. And we begin to become a work that abiding in the vine to let His words abide in us so we can take that old reaction that He just exposed to us and I can begin to change it. 
But thank God He doesn't take all of our reactions, all of our flesh reactions, and say, fix them all now. Amen. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He takes one at a time. And He looks at my life and He says, alright, Steve is ready for me to work on this aspect with him. And He works on that aspect with me. He may have worked on you on that aspect a year ago. But He's just now saying, alright, for where we're at with Steve... This is, we're ready now to work on this part. That's why we don't become vine dressers and we don't try and dress someone else's vine. Because the vine dresser knows the vine. He knows the branches. And he knows what branches have to work on which things. And sometimes when we step up and we want to become vine dressers and we start dressing somebody else's vine and start, you need to get rid of that, you need to change that, you need to quit doing that because you've got too many wooden apples on there. That's not our role. You let God be the role of the vine dresser. And you let God vine dress you and just keep being that attractive person because people are attracted to fruit. We like fruit. I mean, people who don't even like yogurt will eat yogurt if there's fruit in it. Right? People who don't like a particular cereal will eat the cereal if there's fruit in it. How many of you eat bran? How many of you eat raisin bran? Why? Because there's raisins in it. <laughs> I mean, raisin bran tastes good. Bran? Mm. But raisin bran? Oh, that's all right. Fruit just makes everything be a little bit better. How many of you go out there to the Cheesecake Factory and order a cheesecake and get strawberries on it? Or raspberries or blueberries or something like that? I'm with you. I like it plain. Oh, you don't like it? I love cheesecake. What's that? You don't like cheese? It's because it's not chocolate. You've maybe found a chocolate cheesecake. Even that? All gone. I told you the story about that. We were at a cheesecake factory. We've gone out there a couple of times over the years. I don't know, maybe once a year we get out there. It isn't often. We go out there and we have one of their cheesecakes. And they have all those really good-looking cheesecakes. You know, the Snickers bar and the Heath bar. I love Snickers bar and I love Heath bars. And... and it just seems like it just should work. <laughs> you know? Cheesecake and Heath Bar. I mean, they're not just put on top, but mixed all through it and all kinds of good syrups and stuff, all your know, caramel and things like that, all put into the cheesecake. And I, every time I got one, I just was left disappointed. Like, ah, oh, it was cheesecake and all that. And so one time I got the idea. I said, you know what? We just need to get back to the basics. And so when I ordered the cheesecake, I said, I want plain cheesecake. He said, you want strawberries on that? I said, no. You want rather? No. I want plain cheese. I want nothing on it but cheesecake. Just give me the cheesecake. And that's what they did. They brought the cheesecake in. It was the best cheesecake I had ever eaten there. My wife makes very good cheesecake too. And hers is the best cheesecake I've ever eaten at home. But over there, you know, for store-bought stuff, that's, that's, uh, that's not bad, bad stuff. But it's so much better plain. So now she asked me, she said, you want me to make a cheesecake? My answer is always yes. But just plain, just plain, just plain cheesecake, and oh boy, I tell you what, it's that's good stuff. But generally, anything that we don't like, we put a little bit of fruit to it. Don't it make it better? It's just so much better. Fruit's good. It's got natural sugars in it. We all like all that stuff about it. You don't have to add other other things to it to make it make it different. God likes fruit. 
He wants us to produce the fruit. He gave us the way to produce the fruit. And now we need to go through the Word of God and make sure we have the right idea of what fruit is and how I can be more fruit-bearing. I mean, how fruit-bearing are you? How much fruit do you bear for God? If you do not know, then you are opened up to a whole lot of condemnation from the devil. He can get into you and he can begin to condemn you simply because you're ignorant. If you do not know that you have produced fruit for God, He can get in your life and condemn you and tell you you haven't produced anything. If you don't know that you have. And do you know it's perfectly scriptural to stand up to the devil and say, Devil, I have produced fruit. And here's my fruit. Here it is. It's perfectly fine to do that. And you should do that. If God expects us to know if we're fruitful, if He expects us to be fruitful or else the vine dresser cuts down those branches that are not fruitful, then he wants us to do some things, right? What former works have we changed? What works did you used to do when you were unsaved that you don't do anymore? Can you name some? Can you think of your days before you got born again, before you turned your life over to Jesus, some things you did before, and where you're at right now? Have things changed? Are there some things you used to do that now you don't do them at all? Amen. They're not even a part of your life. They're gone. You know what that is? That's fruit. That means you've been attached to the vine and the vine has produced some fruit. What have we concealed from others, from God? Maybe you're trying to conceal it from ourselves. What have you concealed? What have you hidden? That's well, not going to do any good hidden. It's not going to do any good pretending I have fruit. Because you can become satisfied with this, but God's not. God is only satisfied with the real stuff. He wants the real fruit. And what in you remains carnal? What in you has not been changed at all? It's still out there the same way it was before. What hasn't changed? That's an area. Whole harvest there waiting for some, some fruit to come in. And we can break some fruit come in. We can be fruitful. If we are somewhat fruitful, we can be more fruitful. We can be always increasing in our fruitfulness. Because as a branch gets bigger and bigger, what does it produce? More fruit. And our, our idea in being a part of the vine is for the branch to grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. God wants us to be a branch. He wants us to be producing fruit. And not the made-up stuff, not the fake stuff, the real stuff. There are works that are carnal. There are works that we just conceal. But there are works that we have changed and that's the area that God's interested in. He wants to change them. He doesn't want to be that you have to put on airs and put on the appearance so that people that are near you will see you as being a certain way. He wants to completely change that behavior. So no longer is that behavior the same. It is changed. We're going to look at all these fruits that are listed here in Galatians. We're going to look at some of the things that it talks about as far as the works of the flesh are concerned too so we have a 
full understanding of that. And so we can pinpoint, do I have the works of the flesh going on in my life? And if you do, there's a whole area you can be fruitful in. And what about the works of the, of the Spirit, works of the fruit that are going on in my, my life right now? Recognize them. And give glory to God. Father God, I thank You that I'm producing fruit in this area. I used to produce flesh. But now I produce fruit. Thank You for changing my life around about that. And be glad about it. How many of you have more joy in your life now than before you got born again? Then you're bearing fruit. How many of you have more peace in your life now? Then you're bearing fruit. And those are fruits born unto God. And God looks at that and says, All right, this is good. Because some of us, we read these scriptures and we just want to hide and we think, oh no, I, I, if, if God sees me, He may cut me off. The devil's got us all messed up. But you probably have been bearing more fruit than you thought and just weren't aware of what fruit was. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank You for the goodness that You are. Goodness of our God. You love us. You care for us. You desire that we produce fruit, but you're not sitting up there with some big old whip saying, you better produce or else. You've given us the way, the ability. You help us along the path. And you reveal in your word what fruit is so that we can know. We desire to be fruitful. Father, it's also okay for us to know we are fruitful. To know what fruits we are bearing and what fruits we could still work on some. For Father, we want to bring all the fruits to You. Not just a handful, but all of them. Because bringing fruit glorifies the vine dresser. Glorifies our Father God. And we want to bring glory and honor to You. We thank You for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.